If you turn in your Bibles this morning, we're going to begin in John, the third chapter. And this may sound like a campy name for a sermon. You know me, I'm always trying to look for stuff that you'll remember. And so this morning, I'm going to sue you. S-U-E-U. Those are the, are the acronym for what I want you to remember, which has to do with the Holy Spirit and the new birth. I'm going to sue you, and hopefully I will win my case this morning as I sue you. <laughs> and what that stands for is that the Spirit in the new birth is sovereign, it's unseen, it's effective, and it's unstoppable. That's S-U-E-U. Sue you. <laughs> so... If that's campy and weird, you can just forgive me for trying to be campy and weird. But that's what we're looking at this morning in John, the third chapter. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, You must be born again. And here is where we take our text from this morning, when Jesus makes the comparison of the new birth to something. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. The reason this is on my mind, one of the reasons, is I was out burning some Christmas boxes, the cardboard, at our little fire pit, and it was a very windy day. This was on Christmas Day or the day after Christmas. And the wind was whipping around in circles. And I'm personally, I'm fascinated by the wind. I've seen two tornadoes in, in person, which is uh, horrible and also amazing to see. And I'm just fascinated by the way that the wind works. And so I sat there and I watched as the wind was whipping around. And, and you could see the leaves whipping in circles. But it was just so unpredictable. The wind was going every which way. And so I thought, you know, it's, it's interesting that Jesus compares the new birth and the work of the Spirit in the new birth to the wind. I did a little bit of research on the wind, and it's very uh, simple, I think, to understand this definition of the wind. It's an atmospheric motion that's affected by temperature. If you ever wondered why you feel such a breeze at all times, it seems, that, that I'm aware of at the beach, and it's always a breeze coming in from the water, and it's because the land mass... Uh, is, is heated, it's warmer than the water, and as the land mass continues to heat, it pushes that air in the cooler areas in inland, and that's why you feel such a breeze at the beach. Warm air rises and cool air moves in. Now you can imagine there's different levels of intensity of the wind, obviously in a hurricane or a tornado or so forth, but in general, it is the caused by the movement of air masses, of, of heat, causing the air to basically push it and move about in different directions. Now, that's a very simplistic understanding and definition of the wind. It's also affected by the sun, which I think is interesting that the, the sun and its heat, of course, affects the way that the wind goes. And you can read in the scripture a lot about the wind, a lot of very scientific stuff about the wind. 
It says in the book of Ecclesiastes that there is a circuit to the wind. And that was written in the days of Solomon before you know, things were like they are today with so much scientific information. But God, interestingly, of course, God has created the wind. He has made the conditions in which the wind continues to move. And by the way, the wind never stops. There's never a situation where there is not some wind blowing on the face of the earth. It's always up high, down low, wherever. It's always blowing. And Jesus makes the comparison. He shifts from talking about being born again to a comparison of what it's like to try to explain it to Nicodemus, what it means to be born again. Because Nicodemus, who is a ruler of the Jews and should have known these things, you know, he was a theologian of the highest class and he was clueless about this incredible, simple truth of salvation. So Jesus, in his patience and in his kindness, he explains it a little more. He says, marvel not that I say unto thee that you must be born again. And he uses the wind to make an example of what it means to be born again. He says the wind blows where it listeth. The word listeth means to determine, to choose, to prefer. And it is also translated in some different places as the word will or willing. So what that means is that the wind, it determines, it chooses, it prefers, it wills to go wherever it pleases. Nobody can capture the wind. Nobody can instruct the wind. You might benefit from the wind or it might be a detriment depending on the level of how intense the wind is blowing. But the wind is something that you cannot control. If we could control the wind, we'd never have hurricanes again. If we could control the wind, we'd never have tornadoes again. You see, you can't control the wind. It's sovereign. That's my S in S-U-E-U and sue you. That's my S. It's sovereign. And that's what listeth means. As a matter of fact, the same word listeth is translated as the word will in John 5 and 35. When Jesus looked upon the crowd and he says, you will not come to me that you that you will have life. He says, you will not come to me to have life. That's interesting, isn't it? You will not prefer, choose, determine or make a decision to come to me to have life. Those are the words of Christ. And of course, Jesus says also in John 6 and 44, no man can come to me. Not only will you not come to me, he says, in your nature, but you cannot come to me. You will not and you cannot. You see, so that's a bad situation for man to be in. And yet the Lord in his sovereignty and his spirit, which operates like the wind, he's taking care of that for the child of God, for the chosen child of God. The wind bloweth where it listeth. It is sovereign in where it blows. And notice he says, you hear the sound thereof, but you don't see it. The wind is unseen. I've given y'all the little funny example before where Elizabeth, my Elizabeth, when she was younger, was determined that the, you could see the wind. She said, Daddy, I see it. I see the wind. I said, no, you're seeing the effect of the wind. You're seeing the trees blow. You're seeing the, uh, the leaves whip up, but you don't see the wind. Isn't that amazing? You could throw chalk dust into the air. You could throw some type of dust into the air and you see the dust being blown by the wind, but you don't see the wind. It's unseen. That's a foregone conclusion. You can't see the wind and neither can you see the spirit of God. So Jesus says, like the wind, the spirit of God is sovereign It determines, it chooses, it prefers, it wills, and it is also unseen. Now notice he says, you hear the sound thereof, but you cannot tell whence it cometh 
And you cannot tell whether it goes. You can't see where it comes from and you can't see where it goes. Now, as I said, you can in the wind in general, you can determine there's going to be wind because the land mass gets hot and pushes the warm air up and the cold air pushes down and blows. It's just a circuitous kind of thing. And then there's also circuits around the world in which great winds blow up high and, and sometimes down low. I've even heard that the dust, the dirt, uh, the um, sand of the Sahara, you know, through the wind has blown all the way across into South America. That's amazing. It's powerful, see? But you can't see it. So the third thing we come to in regard to the wind is it's effective. It has an effect. It, you, it may not be a good effect because it might blow your barn down. It might blow, I think it was close to... 15 or 16, maybe it wasn't quite that many, but in 2011, the tornado that came through Zion community blew down mostly chicken houses. Praise the God. It was, you know, it didn't blow down people's houses, but it tore up some houses, but it blew down mostly chicken houses. Praise God. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't houses that it blew down primarily. So it may have a good effect. It may have a bad effect, but it has an effect. It's effective. I want to give you some examples when it comes to the effectiveness of the spirit, which is like the wind in the new birth. Now, I tried to, I know some of you are sitting there thinking, oh, he's going to go back to those same old examples. Well, a couple of them are the same old examples, but I'm going to give, I, I want to give you some other examples. So, you know, I'm not just, uh, you know, cookie cutter falling into the same mode. Although I do think no matter how many times we preach it, it's from the word of God. It's, it's good for us. But I do have a couple of different examples here that I want to share with you this morning on the effectiveness of the Spirit of God. Now, notice as we consider this, Jesus says, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So what we can conclude here is that every single child of God born of the Spirit is born again the same way. They may have different circumstances, as we will see from the Scripture. But this, the Spirit operates like the wind in a sovereign way to born again whom it pleases. And we know who that is. It will be the chosen children of God whose names were written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world, which is a multitude that no man can number. And it is also unseen, so you can't see it when it does it, but you can observe the effects of it whenever it does come around blowing. And it is also effective and it is unstoppable, as we will see. You can't stop the wind. It would be ludicrous to try to think you could stop the wind and neither can you stop the Spirit of God. No man, woman, or child can resist the Spirit of God. See? So let's consider some examples. 1 Samuel 10 and 9. As we first look at the two Saul's, S-A-U-L, the two Saul's of the Scripture. If you look at 1 Samuel 10 and 9, I don't think I've ever used this example before, but it's a good one. And it has to do with being born again. Let's begin reading in verse 9 of 1 Samuel 10. And just to set the backdrop, this is, this is Saul's encounter, first encounter with Samuel the prophet. Saul is going to be the eventual king, of the first king of Israel. And Saul is just going on his way looking for some uh, cattle that have been lost. And so he encounters Samuel, the priest of God, and Samuel has been told by God that this man, this young man, is going to be the first king of Israel. And so Samuel, in 1 Samuel 10, is going about telling Saul things that are going to happen. And as he concludes that, 
I want you to notice in verse 9 that it says, It was so that when he, Saul, had turned his back to go from Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all the signs that Samuel had foretold came to pass that day. As a matter of fact, Samuel says in verse 6, The Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee, and thou shalt prophesy with them, and shalt be turned into another man. It's interesting, there is Samuel's prophecy that Saul is about to be born again. You remember, Saul's a natural man at this point now, from what we can tell. He's just a natural man. He doesn't have any spiritual interest, even though, if you'll notice and read the account, he was going through the motions of doing the things that the people of Israel did in those days. But he was not born again. And by the way, let me just say a side note. This is the same Saul that tried to kill David years later. This is the same Saul upon whom an evil spirit came upon him and directed him in a demonic way to try to crush and kill and destroy the one who was going to be the, uh, the heir uh, to sit on the throne, David. Don't think for one second that a child of God can't get in such a horrible condition as Saul got in. But here we have the account of Saul being born again. Now notice he says that as he turned around and turned his back to go from Samuel, God gave him another heart. Notice he doesn't say, I offered him another heart. Doesn't say that I offered him to be born again. Doesn't say that if he'll just accept me or if he'll just make a decision or if he'll just do something. No, Saul went from not having this type of heart, the spiritual heart that is described here, and God gave him a spiritual heart. He's born again right here. Now I said years ago, uh, several times from the pulpit, that if anybody, it's sort of like a challenge, and I, and I mean it in a, in a humble and kind way, but if anybody could find an example of a person being in the process of being born again, like a, like a video process of being born again, other than Saul of Tarsus in the New Testament, I, like, I, I challenge you to uh, show that to me. Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, we see a picture of him being born again on the road to Damascus when he was going to kill Christians. And it's interesting to me that I, in accepting my own challenge and studying the scripture through the years, I have found another one. And lo and behold, it's another man named Saul. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? The movings of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament would show us a picture of a Benjamite named Saul who was born again. A picture of him being born again. And then in the New Testament, we have a Benjamite named Saul who becomes Paul the Apostle. And he is the clearest and, in my opinion, the best picture of someone being born again that you can find in the Scripture. But there is another picture, and it's another Saul. Isn't that amazing? So in the Old Testament, you have the sovereign Spirit of God, unseen, effective, and unstoppable. It says that Saul was given another heart. Now listen, the influence of the Holy Spirit on a child of God is a whole different matter after one is born again. But in the new birth, when one is born again, it's sovereign, it's unseen, it's effective, and it's unstoppable. You see, it doesn't say anything about Saul being able to resist this or being able to stop it. Because you can't. You would, you would better stop the wind if you could stop the Spirit of God, you see? So you turn over into Acts, the ninth chapter, we have the other Saul, which yes, I've used this one many times and. I tell you, it's so good. We just can't get away from it. It's just too good. And in Acts the ninth chapter, we've been through this many times, but I'll just briefly mention that you have the apostle, the eventual apostle Paul, who's known as Saul of Tarsus. He was a Benjamite. 
descendant of the tribe of Benjamin, and he is breathing out slaughterings and threatenings to kill the people of God, to imprison them. And he had previously stood by and been the witness for the death of Stephen, who was martyred. This is a bad man. This man hates Christ. This man is against the Lord. And we read that the Lord arrests him. He arrests him on the road to Damascus. He literally stops him in his tracks, blinds him. He's down on his knees. And notice Saul, when it says, the voice comes to him, says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he says, who art thou, Lord? You see, the apostle, uh, the eventual apostle Paul didn't even know who he was dealing with here. He didn't even recognize it as Jesus. I tell you, the spirit of God in the life of Saul is definitely sovereign. It's definitely unseen because nobody else saw anything. It's effective and it's unstoppable. And Saul becomes a born again child of God. You see, he was a, he was a child of God by the covenant, by the choosing of God. But here he gets that life, that eternal life planted in his heart by the sovereign spirit, you see? And so you have two men that are basically in their prime of their life. Saul in the Old Testament, Saul in the New Testament. These men are in the prime of their life and they're born again. Now let's look at another couple of examples. And I chose a different one. Uh, an infant in the Old Testament. Or a child, if you will. 1 Kings 14. And the question is... Is the spirit like the wind sovereign? Is it unseen? Is it effective? Is it unstoppable? Let's look at 1 Samuel, I'm sorry, 1 Kings 14. I got a lot of scripture references this morning. I'll be happy to share those from, with the scripture list so you can study them on your own. 1 Kings 14. And the background here is there's a really bad king on the throne, and he's fixing to do some really bad things. He's, he's done some bad things. He's fixing to do more bad things. And his son, it says he was a child. So we could say, you know, six or seven or younger. I don't think he was just an infant babe, but he was a young child. And it says that his child gets sick. And so this king, and we're going to look at verse 13, 1 Kings 14. It says that this king sent his wife to find out what was going to happen with this child. And so the, king, uh, the king's wife goes to the prophet, and the prophet has been told that she's coming. And in verse 13, excuse me, verse 13, it says, All Israel shall mourn for him, for the child, and bury him. For he only, this child only of Jeroboam, shall come to the grave. Now watch this language right here. Because in him there is found some good thing toward the Lord God of Israel in the house of Jeroboam. Now, what on earth could be anything good found in any person outside of what God puts in them, you see? And by the way, let's just assume this child was three or four years old, four or five years old. And one of my children joined the church when she was five years old. And one of the reasons that I was okay with that was because she had a very sharp memory and she remembers it to this day. I always say to the children of the church, there's no specific age that God has given that says you must, you know, you can join the church at this age or, or not at this age. It all depends on the personality of the child and will they remember it. I don't want them to go turn 20, 30 years old and think, you know, I don't even remember being baptized. That would not be good. So my children have been baptized at different ages and it all had to do with their personalities and their ability to remember. Could they remember what they were doing? Would they have a vivid, stark image of what they did? 
So here is this child. Let's say this child is three or four years old because we know it was a very small child. And God says through the prophet, there is some good thing found in that child. And yet we read in the scripture where the Lord looked down upon the children of men and said there was none good. No, not one. So whatever this good thing is inside this child had to be from the Lord. Y'all see that? Because there is no good in man in his own nature, as we'll see from some scripture that we're soon to look at. So here is a child who is spared. This, this is an interesting view of the Lord. The Lord spares this child because he's a born again child. He spares him from the misery and destruction that's going to come on the house of his father. He took him out as a mercy. We don't often think of death in that way, do we? Across the board, death is a mercy. When you leave this world and you go to a better world, if you understand the reality of heaven is the true reality. It, well, across the board, it's better. But we often see a young person that perishes or dies from some disease or something tragic. And listen again, this is not saying that every time a young person dies from some disease or something, well, it's the Lord taking them out. It doesn't mean that. But in this circumstance, this limited circumstance right here, the Lord says, I'm going to gather this child onto heaven with me to spare him from all the misery that you're going to bring upon the nation of Israel. That's a mercy of God. That's how it can say over in Isaiah, precious in the sight of the Lord of the death of his saints. See, so this is one we haven't used before, I don't believe. But this is akin to David in Psalm 22, where it says that he was made to hope upon his mother's breast. He says he has known me from the womb. And of course, I can't get away from the mainstay of John the Baptist in Luke, the first chapter. Where John the Baptist, it says, as an infant in his mother's womb, he was touched by the Spirit of God in a sovereign way, an unseen way, an effective way, and an unstoppable way. Just like the wind moves, see? John the Baptist born again in the womb of his mother. I tell you, as old Baptists, as primitive Baptists, we don't ever need to stop preaching the truth of this. Because this is how the infant who is snuffed out with the abortioner's knife, this is how the infant is saved. Did you know that every example in the scripture, you say, well, is there a scripture that says all infants that die in infancy go to heaven? There is no scripture that says that. But there is evidence of every circumstance in the scripture where an infant or a child, as we describe a toddler, let's say that, a toddler, where a child dies, there is evidence given that they go to heaven. You check me out on that. Every circumstance, whether it's the children that were murdered in the days of Herod, it said that they would come to their own border, the border of peace. Even though the mamas were crying, they would come to their own border. You see, God is able to do that. That's why this truth is so important. That's why it's so important to see the glory and the sovereignty of God. He doesn't need a different method to save an infant as opposed to saving Saul of Tarsus. He doesn't need a different method to save a child Born them again because he's unseen, he's effective, he's unstoppable, and he's sovereign. See? So there's no different ways of children to be saved, infants to be saved, adults to be saved. It's all Jesus, remember his words. He says, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Now let's look at a couple more examples as we move along. In the Old Testament, we're going we're to look at two criminals that were born again by the sovereign act of the Spirit of God. Second Chronicles 33. And by the way, this, this criminal was a, a king. <laughs> and he was definitely a criminal because he 
had some, maybe more than one, of his kids aborted. And that, in these days, in the eyes of the Lord, that was a criminal act. And I tell you, church, I tell you, brothers and sisters, in the eyes of the Lord, abortion is a criminal act today. It's a criminal act. It's murder. In 2 Chronicles 33 and 9, we read about a, a fellow named Manasseh. And you can read earlier in the chapter, it says that Manasseh made some of his children to pass through the fire to Molech. That just simply means that he aborted some of his children. He sacrificed some of his firstborn children to the fires of Molech. I could go into the description of what that looks like. We don't really have time for that today, and that's not the subject. But it was Old Testament abortion. They would cast their children literally into the fire, infants, babies, into the fire. They just do it a different way today. They just have a different mechanism for doing that. So Manasseh, in verse 9, made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to err and to do worse than the heathen whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. And the Lord spake to Manasseh and to his people, but they would not hearken. Wherefore, the Lord brought upon them the captains of the host of the king of Assyria, which took Manasseh among the thorns and bound him with fetters and carried him to Babylon. And when he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God. You hear that? This man who had committed abortion and murder with his own children I tell you, that's a testimony to the grace of God. He humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed unto him. And he was entreated of him and heard his supplication and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord, he was God. (laughs) Brother Tim, are you telling me that somebody who has murdered their children, who has led a nation into great error and destruction, are you telling me that they could be a child of God? I'm telling you that is the absolute truth. (laughs) Because why? Not because they have any merit. Brothers and sisters, you don't have any merit. <laughs> that's when we become judgmental. We think, well, I've done better than this person. That, that's not the merit upon which the wind, like the spirit, like the wind operates in the child of God's life. If you love the Lord and, and you serve the Lord, it's because the spirit has operated on you in an unstoppable, sovereign and effective and unseen way. Amen. And here's old Manasseh. He's a criminal. He's a criminal king. And there's a song that we sing that talks about a, a Mary's or a Manasseh's stains. The Lord can forgive no matter what it is because he's sovereign, because he's worthy. Now, New Testament, you know where I'm going. The criminal in the New Testament is in Luke, the 23rd chapter. That's the thief on the cross. Luke, the 23rd chapter, we read where the thief on the cross was like the other thief was cursing Jesus and railing upon him. And saying ugly things and cursing and and using ugly language against Jesus. But something happened to that thief. And let me tell you, there can be no doubt. I've had people say, well, why did the Lord wait and save the thief at this point in his life? You're going to have to ask the Lord that one day. But I can tell you at least one reason why it stands and the Lord did it that way. It's to prove without a doubt that salvation is of the Lord. It's not based on us or what we do or what we think. Because here is this man cursing Jesus and railing upon him in one moment. And then another moment, we have him praising the name of God. And by the way, he's the only person that we find taken up for Jesus at the cross. So the thief in Luke 23, verse 40, it says, The other answering rebuked the other thief and says, Do you not fear God, seeing we are in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he says to Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. What happened to this guy? 
There's no preacher there that preached to him. There's no tract that was given to him. There's no evangelist that got to him. There's no Sunday school teacher. There's no mama. There's no daddy. As a matter of fact, his mom and his dad were probably miles from here with all this capital punishment going on. You know, they didn't want to see this. But I'm going to tell you, whether it's a thief on the cross or a Manasseh in the Old Testament, or whether it's an infant in the womb, or whether it's a child in the days of Jeroboam, or whether it's a, one like the Apostle Paul going to kill Christians, or Saul of Tarsus just wandering around aimlessly with no purpose in life. The sovereign Spirit of God blows upon the child of God when it chooses. And God's sovereignty, His effectiveness, His unstoppableness, and His unseenness operated on that thief's heart to give him a new heart. So the question, you say, well, I don't know now. What about a choice and so forth? Here's the question. Who gets the glory? That's the question. God gets the glory in this matter. And that's what he intended. That's what blew the mind of Nicodemus. How can these things be, Nicodemus said. Jesus said, so is everyone born of the Spirit. They're born again by the sovereign Spirit of God like the wind, by the effective Spirit of God like the wind, by the unseen Spirit of God like the wind, and by the unstoppable Spirit of God like the wind. And Nicodemus said, how can this be? And Jesus said, if I've told you earthly things, how are you going to handle heavenly things? See, this is just the milk of the word, brothers and sisters. Now I want you to consider the functional aspect of the spirit. Uh, I don't, I'm not going to ask you to turn there, but while you're turning to 1 Corinthians 2, I'm going to read to you from Hebrews 10. Look at 1 Corinthians 2, which is, you might say it's, a, it's definitely one of those honey holes for these truths where it speaks of the natural man not receiving the things of the Spirit of God. But we're going to look at a few verses above that in 1 Corinthians 2 because we see the, the functional aspect of the Spirit of God. In Hebrews, the 10th chapter, I want you to, I'm going to read this to you as you're turning there. It says this. It says where, in verse 15, "...whereof the Holy Ghost also was a witness to us, for after that He said before..." Now this is the Holy Ghost as a witness. He says, "...this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more." This is the functional aspect of the Spirit, where the Spirit of God in the new birth writes the law of God in the heart of the child of God. So you say, well, what does you know, the Spirit really have to do with the new birth? The Lord is writing His truth. That's, that may be something that you identify, a word you identify with a little better than the law of God because the law of God is the truth of God. The Lord writes His truth in the heart of a child of God in the new birth. And so, 1 Corinthians 2 is affirming that and it shows us how the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is in tandem with or connected with the new birth that's already been written in the heart of a child of God. Now watch what he says in 1 Corinthians 2. Understanding that the Spirit of God is the pen of God that writes the law of God, the truth of God, in the heart of the child of God in the new birth. And everybody's born again the same way. Infant all the way down to one near the end of their life. Everybody's born again the same way. 1 Corinthians 2. For the sake of time, let's begin reading verse 6. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect or mature, yet not the wisdom of this world nor of the princes of this world that come to naught, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Several years ago, Elizabeth, Lila, and myself were walking through the woods doing on some exploring down a creek near our house. And I've shared this with you before, I believe. But Elizabeth discovered a piece of concrete there, uh, an old 
a wash area where they had poured concrete. And my grandmother, you know, 70, 80 years before had washed clothes down by this little stream, this little creek. And as we cleared off that concrete, there was a name that we could see there and it was Harold McCool. You could see that my dad had written his name in the concrete. Now, the reason I'm sharing that example with you is because when I saw that name, when I saw that name, I immediately identified with who it was. Why? Because I'm his son. I have a foundation with Harold McCool because I came from Harold McCool. So when I saw the name Harold McCool in the concrete, my heart leaped. I thought dad did this. And I talked to him about it. You know, it was like when he was six or seven years old, you know, he wrote his name in that concrete. I had a basis. You understand what I'm saying? I had a basis already with my father as his son so that when I saw his name, I recognized it. You understand that's how the gospel works in tandem with the spirit of God and the new birth. The Lord has made you a son. He's written his law, his truth in your heart. And when you hear the name, when you hear the truth, you go, ah, I see the connection. Now, the problem with that is there's so many half-truths and non-truths out there today. Sometimes it's hard to distinguish between what is true and what is not true. Now, I tell you, this day and time is no different than the way it was in the days when Paul went to Mars Hill and they had all these gods set up. You know, I would say it like this today. There's all these Jesuses set up. You know, this Jesus that will save you this way, that way, the other way, and this way. I tell you, as Paul declared in the days of, that he went to Mars Hill and he looked to the unknown God, I declare to you the unknown Jesus. I declare him to you because he is the one that gets all the glory in the new birth, in your salvation. And that's what the gospel tells us. He says, which none of the princes of this world knew, verse 8, 1 Corinthians 2 and 8, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the King, the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Notice he says, no eye has seen this. Now usually you'll hear people quote this talking about heaven. This is not a reference to heaven. This is a reference to the glorious truth, the mystery of the salvation that God has given us that is written in your heart in the new birth. It's talking about no eye saw what God was going to do. No ear had heard what he had prepared. Neither had it entered into the heart of man. Nobody figured out what God was going to do. Otherwise, they wouldn't have crucified him. That makes sense, doesn't it? Notice he says the things which God has prepared for them that love him. As I was studying this recently, I thought, you know, the things that's referenced here, the deep things of God. He talks about searcheth, the spirit searcheth all things. My mind was immediately drawn to Romans, the eighth chapter, where it says that we know that all things work together for good to them that, are, uh, that love the Lord. That it is almost a restatement of this. What are those things? What are the things that God is doing for his people? What is it that God has written on your heart? Oh, we'll get to that in just a minute. Notice he says, but God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit for the spirit searcheth all things. You notice that? Yea, the deep things of God. You see, the focus of the spirit is to relate to the people of God, the truth of God, the things that God has done for them. No eye has seen it. No natural ear has heard it. And no heart of man in its nature could ever figure this out. But the Lord has figured it out. <laughs> He says, for what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Is this just language to make us sit back and ponder, oh, what scholarly words the Apostle Paul uh, knows and could use? No, it says in verse 10, God has revealed these things to us by his spirit. Paul's not trying to be trite or cute. The Apostle Paul is telling us that for any individual person, you know your own thoughts, right? Right? 
I mean, I may share my thoughts with you, but you can't crawl into my mind and find out all of my thoughts because quite frankly, sometimes my thoughts are not that good and I don't want to share them. <laughs> I might think something bad. I think, boy, I'm glad nobody heard me say that. You know, what man knows the things of man except the spirit of man that nobody knows my, other than God, nobody knows my mind and my thoughts and my plans better than me myself, right? And so what he's saying here is God knows his own thoughts. God consulted with himself to come up with this, our salvation. God is the one that has done this and he has revealed it. No eye has seen it, no ear has heard it, but he has revealed it by his spirit. And reveal means to take off the cover. I remember many times we'd sit down at one of my grandmother's house for Thanksgiving, for Christmas or whatever, and they'd set a dish down there with a cover on it. And, and I could smell it, and I already pretty much knew what it was, but boy, they'd take that, they'd reveal what was in there, and it'd just send your stomach to growling, and your, and your mouth would begin watering. <laughs> Why would my mouth water? Why would I be recognize that and be hungry? It's because I already knew what it was. It's because in the new birth sense, God has already given the child of God His truth in their heart and in their minds, and so when they hear it, they correspond with it. When they took the cover off of that roast, they took the cover off of those creamed potatoes, Brother Ben, that my grandmother used to make and pass it on down to my mother. Oh, I tell you, my, I just, my mouth will start watering. You see, that's how the things of God are revealed. It's revealed through His Spirit. He writes it in the new birth, and He tells us about it in the Gospel. The things that the Spirit has written on our heart. Notice, I, I think this is really neat, where He says this, even so... Verse 10, he says, For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. <laughs> that reminds me of what C.S. Lewis spoke of in the Chronicles of Narnia as the deep magic <laughs> that nobody could figure out. You know, when Aslan actually sacrificed himself, which was a direct reference to Christ, of course, but the deep things of God. Now listen to me very carefully. This doesn't mean things that you can't understand. This doesn't mean, oh, the higher intellectual level, theological terms. No, this is what a child can understand. The deep things of God, by the way, it means simply profound and profoundly simple. The definition of deep things right there, the root of the word is basis. Like the very basic, simple thing. It's the word profundity, which means to be profound. It's a mystery, but it's so simple. Profoundly simple and simply profound. That's how God works. It's also the same word in Romans 11 and 33 where he says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom of God. How unsearchable are His judgments. You see, for, for God, for it to be that way, it's got to be something that gives Him all the glory. Verse 11, For what man knoweth the things of man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, those things that no eye had seen, those things that no ear had heard, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Listen, we don't use the biology of a man to teach about the biology of birds, right? That's not comparing apples to apples. That's like comparing apples to oranges. We don't use the biology or the anatomy of a bird to teach about the biology or anatomy of a cow. How, how silly would that be? It, those things are not comparable. He says we compare spiritual things with spiritual. And so the Spirit of God does not express the Spirit of God in terms of anything other than the Spirit of God. And that's why you have to have a receiver to understand those things. You see? The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. 
It's, it's also interesting how the word receive is always used whenever it comes to salvation. It's never the word accept. Never. It's always the word receive in the scripture. And that indicates somebody being given something, whether they wanted it or not. That indicates the sovereignty of the Holy Spirit. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually done. You must have a receiver for this message to make any sense. And that receiver given to you is given by the Spirit of God in the new birth. See? You know, think about your cell phone. That's a good example. Your cell phone, if somebody wants to call you, you have to have a receiver, right? They don't just go out and say, Hey, Brother Tim, I'm calling you. That'll never get to me. I have to, you have to have my number and I have to have a receiver. And when you call me, I've received that message. Why? Because I already have a receiver. That makes sense, doesn't it? And so the child of God is given the receiver by the Holy Spirit. Uh, yesterday, Sister Lila and I did a little late afternoon deer hunting. And we scared up a few deer uh, while we walked in there. They went ran off in the woods. But we didn't see anything. But I was sitting there thinking about this. You know, what if, what if a little herd of deer, four or five deer come out and they start feeding and I get out of my deer stand and I go over there and start talking with those deer about their feeding habits? Brother Steve, what's that going to do? Are they going to understand me? You see, I can't as a man communicate with a deer. You know, I can remember several times working in the cattle lot and dad would say, you know, back off from this one now. He's going to run over you. And a couple of them did through the years. And I couldn't look at that cow and say, now be nice. It doesn't make any sense. You see, that there's no way to compare those two things because my language is a different language than the language or the, the uh, manner of a cow or the manner of a deer. Those deer would just run off if I tried to discuss with them. Now, you guys ought to come in here and eat early in the morning, you know, for, for the corn will be over here at this point. And that's legal, by the way. That's totally legal. <laughs> but, you know, you, you come over here and eat on this corner and they'd look at me and they'd say, okay, that doesn't happen that way. That's nonsense. And so for the natural man... It's no different than me trying to communicate with a deer. If the natural man does not have the receiver, the language to communicate that's given sovereignly by God in the new birth, he'll never understand it. So, I want to talk to you a little bit about every spirit not being the Holy Spirit. How do you know that? 1 John 4 says to try the spirits. We don't really have time for that. But I will briefly, very quickly tell you that in John 15, 16, and 17... There is a good indication of how you know. Is this from the Spirit of God or it's not? You have the receiver. You've been born again. You have the Lord in your heart. The Lord works sovereignly. The Lord, the Lord is unstoppable. The Lord is unseen. The Lord is effective. But in John 15, 16, and 17, it tells you several clues. Does, this, does what you're being told contradict the Word of God? Because it says the Spirit will lead you into all truth. So if something you're being told or something that comes out of the mouth of someone about God doesn't match up with the Word of God, it is not the Spirit of God because the Spirit will lead you into all truth. And I hope none of us would say, as Pilate said, what is truth? <laughs> and by the way, it will, it will not contradict the Word of God and the Spirit will lead you to see there is no contradiction in the Word of God. You say, well, I don't know how this verse or that verse fits together. The contradiction is in our minds. There's no contradiction in the Word of God. That's what the Spirit tells you. And also, the Spirit, it says, will not speak of Himself. That's John 15 and 26. It's the Spirit of truth that would testify of Christ. It says that it would expose the truth about sin and the truth about Jesus and the truth even about Satan. You see, 
By the way, as we close our thoughts this morning, how did the Spirit come in that special way on the day of Pentecost? You know, those people there were already born again, right? But it says in Acts 2 that it came as a mighty rushing wind. 2 Corinthians 3 and 3 says, For as much as you are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshy tables of the heart. You see, the pen of God is the Spirit of God. And it writes the truth of God in your heart. It's sovereign. It doesn't have to consult with anyone. It's unseen. It's effective and it's unstoppable. In the new birth, as I said now, you figuring out things you should do and decisions you should make and places you should go and careers and spouses and all this type of stuff, those are all things that the Spirit of God can lead you in if you will let the Spirit of God do that. You know, in the days of Noah, it says, my spirit will, not, will no longer strive with man. See, the Lord was tired of striving in His Spirit with children of God born again sovereignly by the Spirit who would not listen to Him. That's where we are as born-again children of God. We strive with the Spirit. We say, yeah, Lord, but I'm the exception. You know, this destruction will never come on me, and it always does. That's a whole other subject. We're talking about primarily the new birth. The Lord is sovereign in that. He doesn't consult with anybody. He can save the infant like He can save the old man. Now, I hope I have won. I've sued you this morning. (laughs) And I hope I've won my suit this morning. I hope the jury returns a verdict that says... Yes, Brother Tim, we see that the Spirit in the new birth is sovereign. It doesn't consult with anyone. It is unstoppable. It is, um, it is absolutely effective in what it does, and it's unseen. I hope that I've won that for you this morning. That's what the Spirit of God was intended to do when the Spirit is there to affirm to you what's in your heart that God has written there, and it adds up to, remember one thing, all glory to God. Now, the language... You say, well, I wish I knew the language of the Spirit of God. God tells you about the language of the Spirit of God. On Christmas Day, when we received word that Clark Deason was just about gone, my sister Tracy and I, right after lunch, we got in the car and we drove over to Northport. And he's in pitiful shape. Obviously, his time on this earth was not long. I've been thinking about these things, studying on these things the last few days. And so when I got down beside his bed, and his eyes were open and he was conscious, but he was so weak he couldn't say anything, couldn't move or do anything. But as the family was gathered around and we got down beside his bed, and I put my hand on his and I began to pray, I tried to use the language of the Spirit of God. You notice in all these things we saw here in 1 Corinthians 2, it says the things that God has prepared for them that love Him. The deep things of God. You see, all these things that he's referring to, what are those things? That's the language of God that he's written on your heart. And it tells you exactly what that is in Romans 8. The language of God. What the Spirit expresses in your heart and my heart and even groans to the Father whenever his children are in trouble. Because that's what the whole Romans 8 is about, suffering. It's about having hard times. What is it that God says within himself Whenever we're going through such times, whether it's the loss of a loved one or repentance or feeling bad about something we've done, he speaks this language. And this is what I tried to speak as we prayed there as Clark was dying. I said, Lord, we know that the spirit searches the mind of God and utters groanings 
speaks the language of God. And this is what the language says. That for whom he has foreknown, he is also predestinated. And whom he has predestinated, he is also called. And whom he's called, he's also justified. And whom he's justified, he's also glorified. You see, that is the language of the Spirit of God. That is what God has written in your heart in the new birth. You're foreknown. You're predestinated. You're called. You're justified. And you're glorified. And as we prayed beside his bed, I believe I felt the Spirit of God confirming those truths. I tell you, those truths will get you through a lot of difficult times when you can't figure out what's going on around you or why you're hurting so bad or why this happened or why that happened. Come back to the language of God, the language that He wrote on your heart with the pen of the Spirit of the new birth. appreciate your patience here this morning. We've gone a little bit over, but we've got a little bit of a late start, so hopefully I haven't robbed you too much of your precious time. If there's one or more here that would like to follow the Lord and become a part of His church...